0: I know I've said this already before, but I, I mean it. I, I can't wait till we're all together again. Seriously, this is... I love summer. Summer's my favorite time of the year. Love it. But, you know, the more... The older I get... I always hear people as they get older, they hate the cold. I'm actually learning to like the cold more and more. I mean it. I mean... Now, you say, well, you don't appreciate shoveling, snow, and all that. Well, right now, I'm okay. You know? I'm okay. Now, as we grow older, I'm sure that uh, maybe I won't as much. When I was in Texas, I missed the seasons. We had seasons down there too, but they weren't as delineated as the seasons here. And going into the winter, winter just, in my view, who am I to tell God about the weather though, right? I think it that sometimes lasts too long. I wish it would be a little bit shorter. Yeah. But I appreciate the winter. And the fall and all of the seasons. And here we are together in another season of our life. And we continue to go through those as well. Rain. In every life a little rain must fall. A little rain. But There's a lot of sunshine too. God is good. The, you know Jesus said the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Everybody gets it. Everybody gets it. Doesn't matter how good you are. Say suffering came into my life. So what? Join the club. Everybody gets it. Everybody gets suffering. A lot of it, if you're a believer. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. That's what the scripture says. Oh no, no, I just pray and I claim it that I'm not going to have any suffering. Well then you're 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 going against God's word. You're listening to a different preacher. You're not listening to Christ, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I remember looking for a while, <clears throat> or looking as I read through scripture about Jesus laughing. And it's interesting. There's a, there's a number of times where he laughs. Um I believe in the prophetic word, but we have no, we have no verse about him actually laughing. None. And, uh, but he was funny. He was hilarious. In fact, Jesus was the funniest man who's ever lived. Genuinely funny. Oh, was he funny. Talk about a camel going through the eye of a needle. You know, he meant that as sarcasm. I mean, it was a total joke. And, but there's no specific verse that talks about him laughing. But there are prophetic words, and I think they're talking about him. As I'm reading through the Old Testament, verses like this. He shall fill your mouth with laughter. That's God speaking. I I believe that's speaking not only just about humanity in general, it's speaking about Christ. He shall fill his mouth with laughter. What would it be like to listen to Jesus laugh? I believe his, his mouth was filled with laughter. That's what the scripture says. And it's... Prophetic and profound. Something so wonderful about our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the whole reason you and I live. The reason you and I live in this world is to know Christ, to glorify Christ. There is no other good reason to live. When we find Christ, and really he's the one who finds us. He's the one who has predestined us. He's the one who has called us to himself. But when we receive Christ, when from our perspective we find Christ, we find our very reason for living, everything falls into place. I have found the one I love, the one that my soul was longing for. The great song of Solomon, the lover's theme, the lover's song. Looking for love. And all of a sudden, finding it in Christ and all the pieces, all the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle, they begin to fit together in one second. This is why we were created. This is why we were made, is to know the Lord Jesus Christ. If Christianity is boring to you, boring, or you're getting through it, or you're getting through a service, or when you think of Jesus, you kind of, Real and horror. This whole idea of people just love Jesus. I love God. I was read, reading something recently uh, by R.C. Sproul, and he was talking about people saying that they like God. Like God. They love God. If you ask most people, they, they, if they say they believe in God, they would say something similar to, oh, yes, I like God. No, you don't. You hate God in your sin nature. You reel from him. You hide from him. There are no God-lovers. He's holy. He's just. He's loving. He's filled with joy. He's filled with eternal happiness, but he's also a God of wrath. He's a God of truth. Without truth, we have, we have nothing. So people say, yeah, I just really don't have any problem with God. I just you know, have no problem with God at all. I just go through life, and I really, I really dig God. I really dig Christ. No, you don't. Not until you meet him. This is why in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve had sinned, what's the first thing that they begin to do? They begin to make excuses, but even before that, they hide themselves. Why? They didn't just come out and say, hey, Jesus, what's going on? No, no. Soon as they sinned, they were covered in shame. They saw each other's nakedness before, but now they saw it in a whole different light. And so when we come to Christ, we come out of the shadows. We come out of hiding. May the Lord bring us out of hiding and out of the shadows and into his glorious light. Transferred from the kingdom of darkness, transferred into the kingdom of his son, God's son. And when we come into the kingdom of his son, we are coming into the kingdom of light. Fill us with light. Maybe your mouth today needs to be filled with laughter. When's the last, last time you laughed in joy over what God's done? I don't mean just laughing over some kind of joke. But you're so filled with joy over the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Oh, is he exciting. May God bring back the wave and the move of the Holy Spirit in our day so many people not excited about Jesus because they don't know him if you knew him if you knew him he's the most wonderful wonderful person in the whole world he's tremendously exciting so we we come before God we say oh God I I repent and I believe. And once you taste and see that honey, you taste and see that the Lord is good. You taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see this morning. Have you tasted? You tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Do you know the gospel? Have you received Christ? Not just the facts, you know the gospel. We've gone through it many times, even in the recent weeks, as we're talking about what Paul is fighting for here. But the reason we say all of this is because he wants you to know God. And there's only one path to God. And God has sent his messengers, specific messengers, into this world to tell us the message of God. And we should listen to them because there's only certain messengers that God has directly ordained, that he has directly commissioned to be his ambassadors, to be his sent ones. These men are called apostles, and they carry with them the gospel of joy. They carry with them the gospel of repentance. They carry with them the gospel of truth. And so as we have seen, it's up to us to hear the gospel and to receive it from his specific messengers. It's interesting in preparing for this, how often Paul is saying, I've been called by God. I didn't get this from a tradition. It wasn't just another guy who said, you need to write these five points down. And I learned about Jesus in that way. He's like, rubbish. That's, That's not how I learned about Christ says, I, I received direct revelation from Jesus Christ himself. I saw Christ, and he gave me the gospel to which I preach to you. And Paul is telling us, listen to me. Listen to Paul. Listen to Peter. Listen to James. So as we begin to think about Christianity, we are ravenous. We are ravenously hungry as we open up the word of God, and we're trying to figure out what he says about everything regarding to faith and regarding to life and regarding to practice in life. We want to know what these men said, because what other word from God do we have if we don't? Let me, let me just ask that question. Where, where do we go for a word from God if we step outside of this scripture? Where, where do we go? Who do we get it from? This is why Paul is so concerned. He's, I don't want you to receive a phony or a faulty, a fake message that is not from God and receive it as if it was from God. I want you to receive the message that comes from me because it doesn't just come from me, Paul is saying. Paul is saying it actually comes from God himself, the creator of everything. The creator of everything. This is, this is hard to wrap our minds around. The creator of the sun. You know how big the sun is? It's huge. It's huge. That's a good scientific word. How big is the sun? It's big. It's like big. All the planets... All of space, all of the black holes, everything has been created by God. There is a God, and he exists outside of this universe, and yet he dwells within this universe. And Paul is saying this God who's majestic and holy and wonderful, the second person of the Trinity, stepped out of glory, and he came to this earth, and he put on skin, he became a man. And Paul is saying, not only did he die and rise again, that's the heart of the gospel. But after he ascended into heaven, Paul is saying, he he came and he visited me. The risen Lord revealed himself to me. And he makes this point in Galatians chapter one over and over and over again. I didn't get this from flesh and blood. I didn't get this from somebody else. This was a direct revelation from God. And how can we get this across? How can we be moved by this? Because this isn't just for our our information. This is for us to understand and appreciate in our heart. I mean, the same God that cast all the stars into the heavens is the same God who came to earth. It's the same God who died on a cross and rose again from the dead. This is the same God who revealed himself to the apostle Paul this is, um, this is the same God who now, by his very nature, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, has come to convict us right now, is present with us right now, revealing and opening the truths of Scripture to us right now so that we might believe, And we might get excited about these things. Marching along with Jesus with a whole throng of people, we were at the The 4th of July celebration last Sunday. It was actually the 8th of July. So I I was wishing everyone happy 8th. And they appreciated that. Happy 8th. And was saying things like, may the 4th be with you. And as they were passing in throngs of people. And I turned to somebody at one point and I said, wouldn't this be awesome if they were all headed to church? Thousands upon thousands of people. And by the way that's what it was like when Jesus fed the 5000 a crowd about that size even bigger than the size of the crowd at Kirby Park went to hear Jesus with no microphone no sound system just to hear him teach This is worth giving our life for I lay down my life Lord before you so I Paul is so adamant that we get this. This is worth your life. Your life. You lay down your life. So we pick up our cross. Nothing compared to the cross that Christ bore. And we begin to follow him with happiness. And true believers are Believers who love this book, and they love the teaching of the apostles as found in this book, and they love the apostle Paul, and they believe what he says, it's amazing how Paul is under attack even to this day constantly. Well, he didn't really write that, and we're not sure if he wrote this, and we're not sure how many epistles he really wrote, and was that really his writing and all this stuff. constant satanic assault. And yet these books, these epistles will be here after we're long gone if the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't come first. So Paul is after our happiness. He's after our joy. He's after our knowledge of God. And he knows that the only way to know this God is to know his gospel. And this is the only true gospel that's ever been given. And it's been given to certain individuals who have been directly commissioned by Christ. And we can say preachers today have received a call, a call from the Holy Spirit that's very important, but these men actually saw Christ, and when they, when they wrote, they weren't just writing their interpretation of other scripture, they were actually writing the inspired scripture, writing out the very words of God. And so Paul wants us to understand, I've been given my authority, not by another man, not by an agency, not by a licensing body. He wants us to know this, but I've given, been given it directly by Christ. Look with me at a few of these verses. Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle, very clear right away, not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ, it didn't. I didn't become an apostle by a man. He wants us to get this. I became an apostle directly by revelation of Christ. Look at verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of, of man or of God? Whose approval am I after? Do I want man's approval? I'm concerned about what man says or do I want God's approval? Verse 12. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You get the point? He keeps saying it over and over again. How about verse 16? He was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And then he goes out of his way again to say, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nobody taught me this gospel. And I didn't need people to come and Make sure that the gospel I was preaching was okay. I didn't need to go before the apostles and then say to me, yes, we, we agree with you, Paul. He says, no, no, I got, this. I got this directly from the Lord. We could say that this is a holy independence. There were originally 12 who were called. One of them tragically rebelled against his own Lord and betrayed him. He was replaced, we see, in Acts. And then there were other apostles who were called by God directly, called by the fact that they knew the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry, his earthly life. Paul was different. And this is why people were gossiping and talking. Is he really the real thing? Can we really trust Paul? I mean, he didn't really know Christ. He didn't really walk around with Christ. These other guys really walked around with Christ. And Paul is telling us, listen, I'm every bit their peer. This is is what he's getting across. He's he's saying this, I'm not a little bit lower lower than Peter. I'm, I'm on Peter's level. I'm not a little bit lower than John the Apostle. I'm on the same level as John interesting, John had a disciple named Polycarp. We know this in history. And Polycarp received the things from John. Of course, he received things from the Holy Spirit. But Paul is coming along and he's saying, I'm not Polycarp. I didn't sit at the feet of Peter and the feet of John and the other disciples. And they, began, Andrew taught me some truths about Christ, and now I'm passing them on. He's saying, no, no, I'm on the same level as them. We We could say that the church recognizes or approves of God's choice, but God never approves of man's choice. In other words, Paul being an apostle was the very choice of God. And yes, the church comes alongside and ratifies that to some extent. They approve that. They say, yes, we see that in Paul. We believe that. But this isn't the church saying, you know what? We think Paul would make a good man of God. And then God goes, yeah, I like the church's choice. I think I'll ratify that. Paul is saying it's the exact opposite. His teaching was inspired. Our our minds are illuminated. So when we write things down, we sit down, we begin to write things about God. We can't add another book to the Bible. This is the inspired canon of Scripture. This is all that there is. All we can pray is that our minds are illuminated. Oh, Lord, illumine our minds to the apostolic doctrine that is taught here. Lord, help me to not think I can go apart from the Bible and receive teaching from you. But as I open up the words of Paul, Lord, enable me to see what he's really writing. Enable me to get it. Help me to see wonderful things in your word that these men, these men wrote. So he's not only on the same level as the other apostles, but he's on the same level as all the Old Testament writers. And this is why we have said over and over again, we need to get into our Bibles We're Bible people. And so Paul is writing, and he's not writing second-class literature. He is writing the scripture itself, and it's on the same level as Genesis, the same level as Exodus, and so on. It is God's word. So the church does have some role to play in recognizing or approving of God's choice, but God never approves Of man's choice. Acts chapter 13, if you flip over in your Bibles. Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, verse 3. If you go back to verse 2, Acts chapter 13, verse 2. This is talking about Paul and Barnabas called Saul in this text, verse 2 of Acts chapter 13, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. So here the church has this role to play. They're worshiping God. Uh, Perhaps they're singing. uh, They're listening to God's word. They're praying with one another. They're fasting. They're not eating. The Holy Spirit said, so this is God. This is the role that we're talking about. He's the one who appoints. He's the one who initiates. He's the one who calls. He's the one who makes apostles. He's the one who is doing that here. It says, the Holy Spirit said. So somehow they understood this was the Holy Spirit speaking. Is it possible the Holy Spirit still speaks today? Yes. Yes, the Holy Spirit still speaks. But we must be constantly measuring. Lord, is that really you? Lord, we're not apostles. Lord, we... We're not not prophets in the Old Testament sense. So God, when you're speaking to us, the only way we're going to know if this is really true is does it measure up to God's word? Does it measure up to what the apostles have taught us because they're the final authority. They get it from Christ himself. They've been commissioned by Christ. So if they've been commissioned by him, we actually compare everything that we get from and to the scriptures. So they're listening to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit spoke very clearly here. And he says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to the work which I have called them. So this is the Holy Spirit. This is why we would say the Holy Spirit is very clearly taught, not only here in Acts. There's other texts in Acts here that show that the Holy Spirit is God. But Jesus was clear that the Holy Spirit is God. It's not just some mystical force that's kind of leading people. The Holy Spirit is a person, and here he speaks here very clearly. They're listening, they're listening to the Holy Spirit speak. It's not they're listening to the Father, not they're listening to the Son. The text here says that they're listening to the Holy Spirit. It says, separate from me these two individuals. This is the this is separation, this, this call to apostleship. But then the church recognizes it. They affirm what's going on. Verse 3, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So Paul says this over and over again for for a point. He's saying, I received this from God. I received it from God. God is the one who gave this to me. The church has affirmed what is going on. They have recognized that God has indeed spoken to me. And so when we hear this, we hear Paul speaking, but we also hear the word of God. This is why we peer into the word of God Sunday after Sunday, verse by verse. I remember being in New York City and in a section where there was a lot of Jewish people. And there was a, a poster as I passed either on a wall, something like that, a poster of what looked like an old rabbi. Long gray beard, bushy eyebrows, much older man. He's sitting there at his desk or at a table, and he has a Torah before him, and he's peering into it like this. Looking at every word, This is this is a picture of a Christian. Hopefully that man someday meets his Messiah. This is what we do as believers. We love this book. We recognize what Paul is saying. Paul is fighting for his apostleship for a reason. He's defending it for a reason so that when we look into this we're like that rabbi, there's reverence. We're looking and we're looking at every word. What does it say there? He Revealed his son to me that I might preach among the Gentiles. And we go verse by by verse. It's not humble or godly to just go, I can't figure this out. I don't know what this means. So many different interpretations. We've seen people like that. They are labeled as humble. You know, the person goes, I don't really just take a stance on anything because God's a God of love. And so I just I don't really want to get too dogmatic about anything that's in this book because we just really can't understand it all. Listen, that's an affront to God. The most humble people are the people who take Paul seriously. It's false humility to say, well, we can't get the Bible, so let's just put Paul's words over here. You know, Peter even talked about him too diff- being too difficult to understand. So many, we use words like this, so many secondary issues, and churches disagree, there's this and there's that. Is that why God called these apostles? Is that why Paul defended his apostleship over and over and over again? So we could just be this confused mass of Christianity, just always scratching our heads going, I I don't know. Listen, the most humble people, the most humble, the truly humble people are those who, who take a stance. Those who are convicted by the words of God. Why? Because they fear God. They don't just say to themselves, well, God would give us all this revelation. Paul would spend, Paul, you're getting boring. You keep telling us that. We get the point already. You're an apostle. You're sent by God. We get that. Paul, why do you keep repeating yourself over and over? And Paul, it's only been a chapter. You know, he does this for a fifth of this book. Defends himself, defends his apostleship. Why? Why? Because the word of God is clear. It's very interesting. Certain pastors, certain teachers. When they peer into the word of God. They say this is this is what the word of God actually says. And it's clear. By the way, there's a big word called the perspicuity of scripture. That is, the word of God is clear. But when often individuals are confident in their assertions, clear, and say, well, that that person is narrow-minded, hard-headed, and on and on and on. And that's one of the sufferings of a true servant of Christ. Are you willing to be called that? Because if you're with Paul, you are. If if you don't see why he so painstakingly lays this out and don't really care, then you probably won't get much flack. And if you say that Jesus only concerned himself with just one or two things and The rest of the Bible doesn't really matter. And the issue is with the heart. So it's not humble to just say these things are unresolved. And, well, Paul seems like a nice guy and everything. We'll consider some of his teachings, like on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17. Paul, why don't you come back? We'll think about what you're teaching. Very interesting. Come on back sometime. No, no. Over and over again, there's a holy independence. In fact, in our text, what's interesting, when he finally talks about his consultation and his visit with the other apostles, it's not so that they could say, Paul, we we finally are going to give you our, our approval. That's not even the point. Look with me here at the text. Verse 17, Galatians chapter 1. He says this, uh, Nor did I go up to Jerusalem... So he receives this direct revelation from Christ. He says, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia. Some of this is Saudi Arabia, what would be considered Saudi Arabia, Jordan today. We don't know how far away he went. He could have been just outside of Damascus. But he goes away for three years or a better part of three years. Then he returns back to Damascus. So remember, he was on the road to Damascus when he has this conversion experience. He falls to the ground and Jesus Christ reveals himself and gives him this gospel. But he's in no hurry. So Jesus gives him the gospel. He has it straight from Jesus. It's true. He doesn't need to go to Peter. He doesn't need to go to the rest of the apostles and find out if they say, yes, the gospel you are preaching is the true gospel. He doesn't do that. In fact, he disappears for three years. You want to talk about no concern for fame. No concern for self-glory. No pictures. Just Paul in the desert somewhere. He had, he, listen, he had the smile of God. He had the, he had the approval of God. He knew Christ. Christ has, had revealed. He's satisfied. He's a satisfied man. He doesn't go down to Jerusalem or up to Jerusalem if you consider going up the hill and say, listen, I need to, I need to get on a speaking tour here. I need to get on the circuit. Make sure I make some big bucks here. I want to be well known. We've got to get this publicized. We've got to make sure that people know who I am. He doesn't do that at all. Why? God knows him. God will raise him up in time. Paul's confident in the gospel that he's been given. And so for three years, what does he do? He just goes and he gets to know God. He's been studying as a rabbi. Now he's studying all of the Old Testament scriptures. He's studying them in the light of the truth of Messiah Jesus, Yeshua. And he's seeing Genesis in a completely different light. Can you imagine Paul is he's studying the Old Testament day after day after day, and he's seeing Jesus in all of the old testament scriptures and he's just satisfied with being with the lord and so it says right here in verse 18 then after 3 years there it is so 3 years we don't know if this is a full 36 months is this um you know a full year and then the better part of two other years we're not 100% sure but it was a a good while and then he goes up to see Cephas, who is Peter, Peter the Apostle, verse 18, I went up to Jerusalem to visit, visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. Now, we might think at this point he's going to get approval, but he's not. Surely they're having very deep, meaningful conversations. Can you imagine the theological conversations that Peter and Paul are having? It must have been majestic them talking about Christ, Peter was probably filling him in on things that he had even experienced, telling him about his journey with Jesus. The look in Peter's eyes, his face, as he says, Oh, I remember Jesus. I remember walking around. Let me tell you what it was like to eat with him. And let me tell you some of the memories I have. Let me tell you about the Mount of Transfiguration, where I put my foot in my mouth and I was talking about setting up different booths for Elijah and Moses and and Christ. Then then let me tell you, Paul, about when Jesus left after 40 days after giving proofs about who he was. I saw him lifted up into the heavens and, oh, I miss him, but I'm okay because we have the Holy Spirit. Paul and Peter are having this wonderful conversation, but it's not for a seminary degree. In fact, it's only for just over two weeks. It's for 15 days that they're chatting with one another. This word to see or or to visit, Chrysostom, one of the early church preachers, the golden-tongued preacher, says about this word, uh, speaking of Paul visiting or seeing Peter, Chrysostom says this, it's a word used by those who go to see great and famous cities. You like to travel? So you go to Venice or go somewhere in Asia or Africa or somewhere else in the United States and you see all the beautiful sights. This is what it means with Paul when he's saying that he went to see Peter, just went to visit with him. He's not saying, Peter, I'm so desperate to to get your blessing. He's going to see him in many ways as a traveler, just going to see Peter and to have a nice visit with Peter. That's the point of the text. So he's going out of his way again to say, My call, again, here in this text, my call is from God. So he says, I went and I just had a nice time with Peter for 15 days. And then he says this in verse 19, goes out of his way to say, and I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Isn't that interesting? James is not one of the 12, but James is an apostle. In the Hebrew, his name is Jacob, the book of Jacob. And so he is equating here. James with being an apostle. Barnabas was an apostle. There's other apostles that are mentioned here in the New Testament. So there were the original 12, but there were also other apostles. And that's why it says here right in the text, I saw none of the other apostles except James. James was one of the apostles. He was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And just as a side note, uh, James was such a man of prayer that they had a nickname for him in the early church. They called him Camel Knees. Camel Knees. Because he prayed so much on his knees. James, get up from praying. Jacob, time to stop praying. Couldn't stop praying. Wanted to be with his brother. His older brother. He went went from despising him. In fact, they said about Jesus, his whole family said he's crazy. said he's mad. That's what they said about Christ. John and John. And then all of a sudden, they they get their world turned around. They see Jesus Christ. Not only did James see it, but Mary, the mother of Jesus, saw it. Not only is he my son, he's my Savior. What a shocking moment. So Paul is not saying, he's not proving here. The church has agreed to certify me as an apostle. He's saying, even when I saw the apostles, in many ways, it was no big deal had a great visit with Peter, saw him as a traveler going to Jerusalem. Oh, yeah, and by the way, I see I didn't see any of the other apostles, but I did see Jacob. I saw James I saw him for a little bit. That's it. Then he gets to the church. Verse 20, you get the urgency here. He says, verse 20, in what I am writing to you before God, I, I do not lie. Then I went and traveled in the Regions of Syria and Cilicia, these are Syria's to the north of Israel, to the north of Judah and Cilicia. Uh, Tarsus is in Cilicia to the the northwest of Judah. And so Tarsus was where Paul was originally from. And he's saying, after the visit with the boys there, I went and traveled into these different regions. And I was still unknown in person. I wasn't wasn't that famous, still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he used to persecute us now as preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So he's saying even, even the church at large, the church in Jerusalem, the mother church, the sending church, the church where the, the church was birthed out of. He says, they heard of me, and they don't really know me. They, they heard of the fact that I was radically converted. They knew about my testimony, my former life in Judaism, that I used to persecute the church. This was, this was my life. But that's pretty much it, and they glorified God. They said, thank you, Lord, for saving Saul. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for saving Paul. Thank you for putting him on the path of truth. They glorified God because of Paul. But what is the point Paul is driving home over and over and over again in this text? He's saying, I'm called and I'm commissioned by God. And that calling didn't come from people, it didn't even come from the other apostles. And he's setting us up so that we listen very clearly to what he's saying, because what he's saying is, when I speak, I'm not just giving man's interpretation. He's saying, I've been commissioned by God to speak for God. So when you listen, only only an apostle could talk like this. So when you listen to me, is what he's saying, you're listening to the very words of God. Are you hungry? I don't mean for tacos. Hungry for the word, hungry for the apostolic doctrine. It's going to cost you to to love it. It's going to cost you to believe it. And it's going to cost you to say it's clear. And I want us in this church to be strong. Strong. I want men to act like men and women to act like women. And it's going to cost us. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, we thank you. We thank you for this word from Paul as he continues to come back over and over again and defend with great clarity and with great boldness who he is. We pray as we go through this epistle and other epistles, as we go through the words of Christ, that you would make us really strong. But not strong in the worldly sense, strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That we would be strong in the word. That we wouldn't think being confused or unconvicted unconvicted is humble or holy It's not. When you say, thus saith the Lord in Scripture, you are speaking so that we're not confused. Confusion is not from the Lord. You didn't speak so that we could all say, huh? You spoke that we might hear you, that we might understand These intelligible words, the words of Christ that come through his servants, commissioned by Christ, a servant like Paul. And he gave all the glory to you, all the glory to you. And as we sing hosanna we think of the meaning of that means oh save now oh save now oh save now would you save us lord convict us convict us there's one in this room who's never received Jesus Christ. You've come into this place, and Jesus is here. He's, you say, how is Jesus here? Well, he's he's here uh, through the Holy Spirit. He's come to convict us of our sin, and perhaps you're seated here, and you're saying, I, I, I've known about God. I've thought about him at different times, but I've never repented of my sin and trusted in Christ. I, I never understood that he is the Savior of me. That he lived for me and died for me. That he died for my sins. He rose again. He's alive today. He's still saving people. That's why he came. If that's you. You need Christ for the first time. You say, I need Jesus Christ to save me. Not, not to give you money, not to give you food. But to give you Christ, to give you God. You need forgiveness of your sins, and you need to trust in Jesus today as your Savior. That you would raise your hand and say, I need Christ to save me from my sins. I don't want to go to hell. Is there anyone here? I need Christ. I need Christ. I need Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.